0: So I was chatting with Brett as we were uh, getting ready to start this morning He was over here with the host team and he said well, I don't know why you're nervous because having four kids is harder than what you're about to do So you're just fine. So thanks to Brett. I am just fine. We're all good um, You know because because kids and um, snow days and, and such we're going to talk about that um, But today you guys is a really big day all right, it's a really really big important day and i'm just so excited to get to speak to you on this day because you know what today is Today is justin bieber's birthday I'm, so i'm, so sure I he's 21 Um, and so we can thank canada. He's 21 today. I mean good lord finally, right? So he can have a really good party and everything i'm sure he's been waiting all this time Um, and and yeah, so it's our buddy justin bieber's birthday um, anyway Anyway, but more importantly, today is Maisie's birthday, and she is my baby, and she is 11. Um, So forget Justin Bieber. She's the star. But um, I, I, I wonder if Jeff will regret maybe having me speak on her birthday because I... I just, all the mama things happen, like, when it's your firstborn's birthday. Like, especially when it's your firstborn and she's turning 11. And so you start to have all the feelings, you know, all the the feelings. And I look at the pictures, and I think about when she was a baby, and I think about when she was the only child that I had. (sighs) And... And I just I cry a lot. I look at those pictures and she looks like Roby does now, but she's like eleven. And it just it flies by so fast and you think of all of those memories and you think of all of those God moments and just the blessing of having her. I mean, she's a really cool kid, so if you haven't ever met her, you gotta meet her, but um and so I, I've been I've been thinking about that a lot. This week and then i've been thinking about guatemala because i'm leaving in a few days Um with our team and i'm gonna leave all my babies so again all the feelings all the feelings and um, and so it's it's quite a lot to think about and to organize life Like when you're about to leave and you're like the number one caretaker for all these little people So, um, we're heading out on third. Oh (laughs) He has a cough. He's just he's got a cough (laughs) If you guys see my kids come to church next week, and just, oh, I pray that, if, like, maybe have an extra toothbrush, you know, in your pocket, and just take them to the bathroom, and <laughs> they might need a little help. Um, but I'm really excited, um, the chance to get to share with you today. So so recently, speaking of all the mama things, like, recently, I kind of was forced to, like, an extremely long hibernation at my house Let me just tell you kind of how this unfolded. So about a month ago, um, nearly three and a half weeks ago, we started with the flu. We had it. It went from each kid. So Roby had it first. She was throwing up. Then Cannon had it. And then he was throwing up. Then Maisie had it. And she was throwing up. And then Rio had it. She was throwing up. And it never ended. Like it just everybody had it. And then it snowed. So I have been in my house for about a month Um, because we had two weeks of no school. I had two weeks of of flu bug, and I've just been kind of all over the map as as far as being in my house with all these people, and it was just awesome, (laughs) and uh, so the hibernation, it was kind of forced upon me, but what happens when I am forced to hibernate is I go a little crazy, and my kids, they say cray-cray. I, like, I start to kind of lose it a little bit but I journal a lot. I write down a lot of things because I try to, like, keep the therapy going because I can't leave. So I start to write and I start to think. And what happens is as I begin to unfold certain things about me that are uncomfortable, you know, when you're forced to kind of be by yourself longer than you'd like to be and you have these little people in your face and you just really can't think, um, you start to kind of be- begin to think about the things that you don't really like. The things about who you are that make you a bit uncomfortable. And they're kind of like these self-discoveries that were just like forced upon you. But you, have, you can't run because you're forced to stay inside. And by the way, stop praying for snow. Because it's his fault. You know, part of the hibernation was part of the snow. And, and so I had this time when the kids were sick and we were in the house and, and sledding was in full speed. And I was thinking about how yuck and how ugly some of the characteristics that come out of me are when I have to be alone and home and stuck. So as I start doing that and I start thinking about all these things and I start writing all these things down, I think, ah, the Grove, they need to hear all this too. Um, Because I feel like if I sense that I'm off in certain ways, then you guys probably sense that you're off too, you know? Like, I'm not the only crazy one, so I'm not going to take the fall here. You guys, (laughs) you guys, we all have things, right? When you have those moments when you're just alone with your mind and you start to to think about what you're thinking about and you realize it's not good and it's kind of embarrassing and you really don't want to even say it out loud, but it's, it's, maybe it's God speaking to you and maybe it's God nudging on you to say, you got to get this out. You got to do something with this, because I need you, in my and my disciples. You know, I need you to because we're on mission, right? We're on mission for God, and so when we live with the yuck and it kind of just stays and it gets woven into who we are, we are unable to really reach for God the way that He's designed us to. So I'm going to just throw these out there. I'm going to I'm going to share three. There were more, but I'm going to share three of these self discoveries that that I came up with. Um, I believe that. God revealed to me while I was with my lovely kids. Um, And I'm going to share those with you, and I believe that that they're going to connect and relate to where you guys are too. Okay? So here we go. Number one, I am a blamer. When something goes wrong, I want to know whose fault it is. If something is wrong in this world and in my life and in my family, I want to know who is to blame. Like, whose fault? Okay? So this is how far it goes. One of the mornings when we were in hibernation, I got up early to go start the coffee pot because what else are you doing when you get up early? You know, go start the coffee. So I'm stumbling around in the darkness and I'm making my way into the kitchen and the dog is in front of me, needs to go outside. But I was tired and I was trying to like beeline to the coffee pot and I tripped over the dog. And so what do I say? The first thing that comes out of my mouth is, darn you, Jeff! (laughs) Because, you know... But here's, here's my, here's what happens. <laughs> okay. So we have this dog and it's in our life and it, and she's a part of our family, but I didn't invite her. Okay. <laughs> she was not invited by me. She was invited by everyone else but me. And I live with her and I take care of her and I sweep up her dog hair. But when something is wrong about the dog, I have to blame someone. So I said, darn you, Jeff, when I tripped over the dog. So I'm a blamer. Okay number two discovery is I am a controller. I love control. I love to be in control. I love to think I know that I have it all in control. And when you have four kids, you're not in control. When one person is throwing up and then two people are throwing up and then three people are throwing up and then four people are throwing up, you are not in control. You have lost your mind. So apparently what happened in that discovery time is that I realized that the loss of control is a is about the worst thing that can happen to me because I I was very unpleasant you can ask Jeff he'll give you the notes afterwards I was so unpleasant to be around there were times that he just like looked towards my direction and was like bring my wife back like she is not you and so I'm a controller I love to control things and the third thing that I discovered about who I am in this time is that I am very self-reliant. I like to do things on my own. I like to believe that I can get it done and I don't need to ask your help for it. I like to be able to feel like I don't need people and maybe don't need God sometimes because I can do it. I'm just fine. I take a lot of pride in trying to, to, to get things done and to not ask for help under any circumstances. Okay? Okay. So this is how bad this goes. I was kind of thinking back on some of the really stupid things that I have tried to do on my own that I should have asked for help. Um, Last Christmas, I was two weeks away from delivering or three weeks away from delivering a baby. And Jeff wasn't home, but I was done with Christmas. I was over it. So I had this in my blood to get rid of all Christmas decorations, all things. Because if I'm going to have a baby, I can't have Christmas. So I I was done. So they were gone, the kids were with Jeff, and I'm home by myself, way pregnant, like way pregnant, and I decide that I'm going to take like the 10-foot Christmas tree down by myself, because I can do it, I'm fine. So I'm taking all the decorations off, and it's good, and we get to the top where there's, there's a star on the top of the tree, and I don't think that, that it, you know, I'm like, this is the last thing, I can get it, and then I'm going to just drag this tree out of our house, Pregnant. So it's really tall, and I couldn't figure out how I was going to get up there. I tried the ladder, and that wasn't working. I just didn't have the reach. So I thought, well, I'm just going to tip it, you know? I mean, what's that? Like, I'm just going to, like, get in the position and just tip it towards me, and I'm going to catch it. I'm going to get the star, and then I'm going to drag the tree out of the house. It sounds really simple. So I get in position, pregnant, and, I mean, I, you know, and I try to, like, just hit it with my hand and tip it towards me well, of course, this is fail. I lose my grip. The tree comes and hits me in the face. I scratch my cornea. Like, I can't see. My, I, my, I, like, it's bad. It's, it's like, painful bad. Um, and I was... Just because I decided that I was going to do this by myself, and so I get injured in, in the process. Um, more recently, I decided to take all of our trash, because I love trash, to the dump. And I decided to take all the cans by myself. And Maisie came with me, but she was just moral support and she wasn't a help. I was going to do it. So I'm lifting the cans because that's what you do. And I'm trying to dump them into the dumpster and I'm not quite tall enough. And I do this and I kind of have to shove the garbage and I lose my grip. And I just, the whole can, like the whole thing is in the dumpster. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I get back in the car and Maisie's like, mom. So we're kind of like, like hoping nobody sees. And then knock, knock, knock on my window is the, the trash guy. And he's like, do you want me to help you? Because your can is in the garbage now. <laughs> so I'm, she's so embarrassed. I mean, she's like scrunching down. Like, please, mom, you're so embarrassing. So he helps me dig out my can in the garbage because I knew that I could do it on my own. And I didn't need any help. So I'm self-reliant. So can you relate to any of these or I'm just nuts? So we blame, we like to know what, when something goes wrong, we want to know whose fault it is, the dog or or Jeff. We control because we want to get, we want to make sure that things go the way we think they should. We want it to play out just like we planned, okay, and we are self-reliant. We try to get things done. We want to make sure it happens. And so we rely on what we can do on the effort that we can put in. And, and we try to live this way. So what happens when Christ followers, when pastors' wives, try to live with the characteristics of blame and control and self, self-reliance? What happens? What ends up happening is that we come up lacking. We come up lacking because we can only get so close to God when we try to keep so much in our hands. We come up lacking with intimacy and closeness to our God because when we're trying to blame and control and rely on ourselves, we can't get close. When we're trying to take matters into our own hands, we're unable to really get as close to God as he intends for us to be. When when we think about the mission of the Grove Church, we have this mission, and we've been talking about that over the last few weeks, and the mission of the Grove Church is to reach up, to reach out, and to reach in. And reaching up out of the three of these, reaching up is the one part of our mission that is very individual. It requires a ton of effort on your part and on my part, and we have a, a lot of it has to be done on our own, because when we reach out, we do it what do we do? We show up together, right? We meet downtown, we serve pizza and hot chocolate, and and wait, we have never some pizza. no, I just made that up. Um, we serve hot dogs and hot chocolate and and stuff to our community. Um, we get together, we reach out, we show up when we go to Guatemala together, we um, invest in the community for helping kids with backpacks or different projects, we reach out. When we reach in, we are helping take care of each other here. And we do that. I watch you guys do that. And I'm so impressed by you. So-and-so has a baby and people show up with meals. Or, you know, we're having somebody, somebody's moving and different people will help show up and help them move. Or just praying for each other. I watch you guys, you know, talk to each other and greet each other. And we we do that with each other. We reach in. But when we reach up it's between you and God It's between me and God and reaching up has been this forever struggle for me Because it's something that we all are really really good at uh, Showing that we have it together showing that we're doing it. Well when behind the scenes We maybe maybe we're suffering and maybe we're not really doing a good job at reaching up for God Because it's very easy to come together and to appear that our reach is intact and we're doing a great job and we're talking to God and we're close to God. But the closeness that you have with God is really something that only you know. It's only something that I know. It's between you and God. It's between me and God. Reaching up is something that we are getting wrong because I feel like churches are lacking true disciples does that make sense that there are churches all over the place but there are there are not a lot of true disciples of god followers you know people that are invested in reaching up because they want to be close to him because they want to do what he's asking them to do in their life and when we carry certain obstacles blame and control and self-reliance we are unable to reach because we can only get so we can only get so close So I want to I want to read a quote to you that um, From a book that I just love and then we're going to talk about these obstacles So brendan manning in his book the Ragmuffin gospel if you haven't read it read it If you haven't read it, I know I tell you books all the time. You have to read this book You have to read this book. It's called the rag muffin gospel by brendan manning. It's excellent In the first uh, chapter, he writes this. The emphasis is on what I do rather than what God is doing. We believe that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Indeed, we can just do it ourselves. Sooner or later, we are confronted with the painful truth of our inadequacy and insufficiency. Our security is shattered and our bootstraps are cut. Once the fervor has passed, weakness and infidelity appear. We discover our inability to add even a single inch to our spiritual stature. There begins a long winter of discontentment that eventually flowers into gloom, pessimism, and a subtle despair. Subtle because it goes unrecognized, unnoticed, and therefore unchallenged. We are overcome by the ordinariness of life, by the daily duties done over and over again. And we secretly admit that the call of Jesus is too demanding and that surrender is beyond our reach. We secretly admit that the call of Jesus is too demanding and that surrender is beyond our reach. And I feel like I see that in church. I feel like I see that here and I feel I I see that in other North American evangelical churches that kind of this western mind of church that, that somehow that the call of Jesus feels too much, you know, too big. It's too, we have to put our thought into it. We have to think about it. It feels, it feels like a huge commitment. And so we kind of secretly admit to ourselves that that surrender is not what we can do. And so we, we play church and we do really good at reaching out and, and reaching in even. But the reach up is something that falls back on us to do. So, I want to kind of examine some of these obstacles and see if we can kind of weave ourselves through this today, okay? So, blame. I'm a blamer, okay? The 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 thing about blame is that it is something that is very easy to get tangled up in because we have all kinds of things we can blame. We can blame people, we can blame God, We can blame life circumstances. Well, this isn't fair. This is not how it should be for me. So blame is something that's very easy. You know, it's kind of in our nature that we want to know if if something goes wrong, there's somebody needs to be in charge of that. Like somebody needs to be responsible. The, The author and speaker, Brené Brown, she says, blame is simply the discharging of discomfort and pain. It is a way that we discharge our anger. When we're uncomfortable and unhappy with ourselves, it is our nature to blame. We blame because it puts the responsibility somewhere else than, other than on ourselves. So the obstacle of blame is not new on the life scene at all. So if you think even back to like our very beginning marriage that we see in the Bible, we see blame. So Adam and Eve, you know, we have this relationship that we we read about and how it kind of unfolds is, is very interesting. Uh, but blame, if you can, if you can uh, believe it, it's a part of marriage even from the get-go. So, in, in Genesis chapter three, um, we have this little interaction, and if if you look into these verses, it's it's blame. So, Genesis chapter three, um, what happens is is God. He's approaching adam and eve because they discover that they don't have any clothes on and he's he's kind of like well You know, how do you know who told you that you were naked? So in in chapter 3 verse 11 And then he said who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from then the man said the woman you put here with me She she gave me uh, some fruit and from the tree and I ate it so God says, how do you know? And Adam says, well, you know, she told me to eat this. And so I did. So he points the finger. Well, Eve, I mean, she's not going to go down like that because that's not how we work as women. And so, um, so she's going to reply. I mean, it's not like a woman to reply, right? You know? So she's going to reply because that's not how it goes. And so then the Lord God said to the woman, what, ha- what is this that you have done? And, and the woman said, well, the serpent, he deceived me. And so I ate it. So Adam says, Eve, and Eve says, the serpent. And so there's blame. And so we have this example, you know, right from the beginning. How many of you are tempted to point to something when something bad happens other than yourself? How many of you, like, that's maybe one of the first things that we, we kind of our instinct. Well, if it's bad, it's got to, there's got to be fault somewhere. That's what Adam did. That's what Eve did. You know what's interesting about blame? Is that when we are very busy doing this, like kind of putting our fingers around like this, it's almost nearly impossible to do this. You know that picture of surrender? When we are busy keeping our hands like at at, at circumstances and at people and and, and who did this? And well, if my husband wouldn't have said this and I wouldn't have reacted this way. Or if my father wouldn't have passed that trait to me, well then I would be just peachy. Or, well, they and that friend that I have, I mean, she's always, uh, da, 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 you know. So when you're pointing and you keep your hands doing that, it's almost nearly impossible to do this. And that's what reaching up is all about, the surrender. So Brene Brown, she also writes that blame is extremely corrosive in relationships. And it's one of the, many, the, it's one of the main reasons that we miss opportunities for empathy. So when you're talking to somebody and you're in a conversation and you're just waiting for the moment to insert blame and you're waiting and, and, and you can, you're trying to think of how you can insert blame into the conversation that maybe it's not going well, it's not particularly a comfortable conversation. When you're waiting to insert blame, you cannot hear and you cannot listen with empathy in your heart. You can't. You will not be able to listen clearly to that person, that spouse, that parent, that child, to whatever it is that they're trying to communicate to you because if the next thing that you're trying to think is, okay, well, somebody's to blame and and I need to figure this out and maybe it's their fault, not my fault, it's their fault. When we're quick to do that, we miss opportunities to have empathy with the people that God has put in our lives. We cannot hear their heart. We cannot hear what their struggle is or their pain. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's my parents' fault, not my fault. So blaming others, blaming God, blaming ourselves, each one of these types of blame, it just halts our growth spiritually. And it keeps us from being able to reach up for God. And, and our reach for God becomes then very sporadic and very inconsistent because we reach for him when we need him, when it seems fitting, when we're desperate, when we're broken and, and, and we've hit the bottom, that's when we reach for God. And it's so inconsistent that the closeness between us and him becomes very little. It becomes inconsistent in the sense that we have this maybe mirage of, of closeness with God. Okay, the second obstacle is control. So what about control? Control, like blame, is so woven into how, how we think as humans. It's our it's our very nature since the beginning to think of ways that we control um, that what what is happening in our lives. Because if we can control it, then it doesn't get out of control and it doesn't hurt us, and it and it and it feels right. Still, you know what I'm saying? And so we are a people that enjoy control, and some of us will go to great lengths to see control um, in our hands. Um, in second samuel we have this really interesting story of king david and and a lot of times you know we talk about the greatness of of king david and and he's this man after god's heart and there's so many amazing stories about his life but he has this thing and this this relationship that he's a part of that he tries so much to keep control and 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 it eventually gets out of his hands so in second samuel um Chapter 11 i'm going to read a few verses. This is a story a portion of the story of david and bathsheba So in second samuel chapter 11 starting in verse 6 What happens is is david has had this affair a scandalous relationship with bathsheba And she is married and so she is married to uriah and he is off fighting a battle And what happens is not so good because bathsheba becomes pregnant and well her husband's not there and she's been with david king david So this is a problem and king david, you know kind of starts to panic and he's trying to kind of reel his You know his uh, control in order to keep the situation in, in his hands So this is what happens. So david sent word sent this word to joab Send me uriah the hittite and joab sent him to david When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the place and and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of to the palace with all the master's servants and did not go to his house. So David was trying to get him to go be with his wife and and he doesn't. He sleeps at the entrance of the house When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why don't you go home? And Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So, Uriah is like i'm not you know, my men are still out in the in this battle and, and my i'm not going to do that So out of respect for them. He doesn't go home Then david said we'll stay here one more day and tomorrow. I will send you back So uriah remained in jerusalem that day and and the next at david's invitation He ate and drank with him and david made him drunk so And again, this is another attempt of david. He's you know, uriah isn't getting the first uh clue so he tries again But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants, and he did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to Uriah. And in it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So David tries first to bring Uriah home and have him be with his wife. That doesn't work. So then David tries to get him drunk. So then he would go be with his wife and that doesn't work. So then David instructs Joab to take him back into battle and to put him in the front lines so it would nearly basically guarantee his death. So he has him killed. David was so desperate to keep control over this snowball of sin that he was willing to go to many great lengths to to be able to see that his sin wouldn't find him out. So he wants to be in control. He wants to control what he has done When our grip is so tight, like this, when you clench your fist and you are just wanting to remain in control, it is very, very difficult to reach up, right? If you're holding like this, you can't have an open palm. You can't have arms extended in surrender. And so David, he was desperate and he was holding like this and he was gonna make this work because if anybody was to find out that Bathsheba was pregnant with his child, you know it that that was going to be the end of him so he was trying to control and so many times like us christ followers or not in 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 our lives in humanity we want to be in control of our circumstances and when things get out of control in relationships in our homes you know with family with with illness with with big things big tragedies it feels like we need you know to hold tighter that we need to just clench tighter because we we want it to turn out the way that we want it to turn out just like david so the obstacles of blame and control keep us from reaching up and the obstacle of self-reliance just falls right in line it just goes right along with these others it pairs with them because we we take tremendous pride in trying to do things on our own don't we just like me and the christmas tree and the garbage can like i think there are stupid decisions that I make because I feel like I don't need to ask anyone to help me. I can do it. And that, that transpires into my faith. That transpires into how we relate to God. If we're so self-reliant and we're so independent and we're so um, just being able to do it on our own, we're good, we got this, God. Then we, relu- we, we are reluctant to call out to him um, Oh. Only if it's the times that we are just so desperate We're reluctant to lean on him on the day-to-day things the ordinary things Because we can just do it on our own and we'll just talk to god when we need him You know, have you ever felt like that? We'll just talk to god when we need him or when when a problem comes up, but but otherwise we're good We got this David nearly got away with his plan And what happens next is not really what he thought was going to happen. He kind of Was able to take care of uriah. He then took bathsheba to be his wife and he bore a child with her So what happens is the prophet nathan comes to to the scene and he shows up Um to talk to david to confront him And when nathan is talking to david david's just oblivious. He has no idea like he's just Not listening and and nathan tells him this story that is basically just speaking about david and and david Um is missing the whole point so then, this is, what, this is what ends up happening. Um, this is chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 5. David burned with anger against the, man, against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because Nathan was describing him, and David is saying, you know, Whoever did this, this man deserves to die. He must pay for the land four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are this man. So Nathan comes and and calls him out, and, and his plan of self-sufficiency, his plan of, of independence and control basically falls apart. You know, David had a lot of power because he was king, and David had a lot of control because he was king. And even when he took that control into his hands, it still fell apart because God showed up through Nathan and and he was caught. Each one of these obstacles has just really grabbed my attention. The obstacle of self-reliance keeps us leaning on what we're able to do, leaning on our own strength, what we can do, and it just partners so well with blame and control. Keeping our reach from God very, very subtle and very minor because we can only reach so far when those obstacles exist. So just as all these obstacles were kind of starting to fill up my journal and i'm starting to write Um, i'm a blamer. I'm a controller. I'm i'm self-reliant and I was starting to feel pretty miserable about who I was um I you know, just like a very pouty christ follower. I said to god a lot. Well, that's just great Um, maybe I should just give up now god because thanks for revealing all this awesome stuff about me um Which is really very dramatic and very uh, mature so I I then went, I put the journal down, and I just was, whatever, God, I, can't, I don't even want to think about this. And it was a couple days later that I went back and I picked it up. And something pretty radical happened. And so you may think I'm a little out there, but, but th- this is truthful, and this is what happened. So I'm, I'm a little tearful, and I'm l- reading all these pages of things that, about me that I just don't like. And if that was the end of the story, and if that was the end of the story for, for you guys, too, I mean, it, it would be pretty hopeless. It, it wouldn't really feel like a good ending of the service, right? So this is what happened. I opened up my journal, and I'm kind of mulling over these pages and how awful I am, and I felt God spoke to my heart. And I felt like he said to me, let's try some new words, okay? So I felt like he led me to cross them all off and to find new words. So I started with blame, and I crossed it off. And next to it, I wrote the word ownership. And I I moved to control, and I crossed it off. And next to it, I wrote the word surrender. And I moved on to self-reliant, and I crossed it off. And next to it, I wrote the word dependence. And I felt like these new words were from God to me, and now from me to you. Because I felt like God was saying to me that, yeah, you have some pretty crazy stuff that you're holding on to here. But I have new words to give you. And there are words of freedom and they are words that can break the cycle. And there are words that can help you reach me because that's really what we want, right? We want to know God. We want to touch God. We want to feel God. I mean, that the band was just singing that song at the beginning of the service. I want to feel you shine. We want to, we want that, right? And then when that becomes a true desire of ours, we have to figure out the pathway to get there. Because when obstacles are in our lives, blame, control, and self-reliance, we will not be able to do this, you know, because we're going to be like this, and we're going to be like this, and we're going to be like this. And God is saying, ownership, ownership eliminates blame. There is freedom when we confess that this is what I have done. This is who I am. This is my mess. This is my pain. I own it. And this is the part that I've played in whatever is happening um, in the circumstances that I'm facing When we stop pointing elsewhere, we're going to be able to reach for god And surrender surrender breaks the obstacle of control There are areas in our lives that we were never ever intended to control And sometimes when we go to great lengths to be able to control things we lose our grip on god Have you ever been there? Sometimes when I go to such great lengths to keep my life in control when you, and again when you have four kids There is no control. We are just a crazy house But when I try so hard to hold it all together, I lose my grip on god And surrender Breaks the obstacle of control Surrender is the freedom and the very stance of surrender Is the image of us reaching up to god? And dependence, dependence turns self-reliance around. And when we, when we recognize that we were not created to do this life on our own, not on our own without each other and not on our own without God, it gives you the chance to, to breathe a little bit deeper and to recognize that he's ours so that we can depend on him. We, he, we have him so that we can depend on him. And sometimes that's for big, big, big things. And sometimes that's for the very next breath. You know, the, the very next moment we're depending on him for. And when we try to, to take matters into our own hands and do it on our own, we cannot get close to God. And as a church, as, as the Grove, and as your friend, I want us as a church to be able to reach for God And to experience the closeness that he has for each one of our hearts. Because the closeness that he has for my heart is going to feel different to Brayden's heart and to Mason's heart and to AJ's heart. It's going to feel different. (laughs) Okay, let me get this out, God. Okay, because when a church, when people reach God the way they were supposed to, because we're all different. When we reach God the way that we're supposed to, it's like an eruption of who he is in humanity. Does that make sense? When each one of you reaches God in the way that you were supposed to, it's an eruption of God on this earth. And that's what this world needs. That's what this world needs from you and I. To get rid of the obstacles and to reach for him. So this is how I want to close with you guys today. So, and I'm so sorry, I'm crying. But I, because I I want this, you know, I want this. For me and for you. So there's this awesome author and his name is Bob Goff. And if you have never heard of him, you have to check him out. He's amazingly genuine, and he feels like love is his mission, which I love, I love, I love that about him. But the crazy thing about him is that he's actually a lawyer, (laughs) and he's a lawyer as his profession, and what he says is that, I'm a lawyer because I'm a fundraiser for Jesus. This is how I make money so that I can do things for God. Isn't that cool? He doesn't really describe himself as a lawyer, but he is one, and that's the way he, he funds his God projects, is what he says. And so, Something very interesting about how he treats each one of his clients that he sits with is that when he sits with them If they're talking to him and they have their hands under the table or their arms crossed He makes them sit palms up He will make them bring their arms up from under the table and set them on the table palms up He will make them unfold their arms and make them sit in front of him palms up And the reason that he does this is because it it's of the physical stance of surrender And he says that it keeps his his clients vulnerable and honest. They don't lie as much. They don't make as many mistakes. When they sit palms up, it's a stance of openness and surrender. And they're more vulnerable to tell him the truth. When we come into our relationship with God, we got to come to God palms up. When we come into our relationship with God, we got to bring our arms up from under the table. We got to uncross. We got to unclench our fists. And we got to come to him palms up. Because when he's talking to us, he wants us in the position of surrender. Full surrender. Not partial surrender. Not maybe surrender. Not, uh, you know, full surrender. When we come to our relationship with God, he wants us palms up. So, I want to ask you guys to try something, to do something with me as we conclude. If you would be willing to stand... Um, so when david was confronted by nathan he then writes this psalm and many of you have heard it before it's psalm 51 and it's his response to being to being caught and and to being caught in that sin and it's his return back to god and so it's, it's a beautiful psalm, and it's this confession, and it's this surrender, and it's, it's amazing. So what I want you guys to do is I'm going to read you a few verses from this. But if you'd be willing, as a church, could we close our eyes and, and stand palms up to God? Just as an image of surrender, that we're surrendered to him as a community, as a body, as brothers and sisters. Would you be willing to close your eyes and to be palms up? As an an image that you're surrendered to him. And I'm going to read a few of these verses to you and I'm going to pray for us. So, this is David, and this is what he says after this time with Nathan Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, we come before you, palms up in surrender. And we want to take ownership of our lives and the way that we live, the way that we speak, the way that we act. We want to take ownership. Of who we are before you, God. Because we want to get close. And we want to stand palms up before you, God. Because we want to surrender. We want to surrender it all. Not just some of it. Not just the pretty parts. But all of it. We want to give it to you. Because you can take it from us. And your forgiveness is there. We want to surrender to you. Because we want freedom. So that we can reach for you. And be close. And we want to stand palms up to you because we're tired of doing it on our own. We're tired of the days that we try to make it all work on our own strength, on our own time. We want to stand before you because we want to be dependent. We're palms up because we want dependence. We want to depend on you in this life. The things that we don't understand, the things that are out of our control, the things that we we cannot figure out, we want to depend on you. So God, I pray for this church. I pray for each person here. I pray that as we move forward, that our reach for you would be sincere and that we would take that, that independent calling very seriously, that our hands would remain palms up towards you, that we would be open for the steps that you're calling us to take, that we would stop the blaming of things that are not ours. We would own our part. We would own our mess. We would bring it before you and and beg for your forgiveness so that as a church that we we would get close so that your spirit would be erupted into this community, God. That's what we long for. I thank you for these people. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for their service. The things that they do, it's, it's over my head sometimes that the amount of time and energy and giving, and I thank you for them. And I just pray that you would get us ready for what you have next, because we cannot comprehend your spirit and how it will move when we are willing to stay palms up with you. Pray that you would go before us, God and you would guide each and every step and every word, and we love you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.